This episode is supported by Earn In. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn now can be in your hands today with Earn In. Earn In is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Super, super easy to use. You just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck. Then you can access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. So the app is free. You can leave a tip if you want. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So here's the thing. Sometimes getting close to your next paycheck, next pay period, and you realize, oh gosh, like paycheck doesn't come until next Friday, but we have this event that we need to attend this weekend and we need money for it. Or we have to buy a gift for someone. Or, oh my gosh, like my kid tore through their shoes and now we have to buy new shoes this weekend and the money's not in the bank yet. So Earnin can help you access the money you've already earned at work by giving you this little bit of money in advance. So make Earnin part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability and security, and it gives me a lot of peace of mind. So for our listeners, all you need to do is download Earnin today. It's spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, and you can download it in Google Play or the Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, type in Shameless Mom under podcast when you sign up. So there'll be a little place where you can, where it says, what podcast did you hear about them on? Type in Shameless Mom under podcast. This helps to show support for our show and our advertisers. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank, and subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean, and I'm here to give you and other passionate, dedicated moms the tools you need to bridge the gap between motherhood and living the life of your dreams. I'm also here to help you be a little more shameless every day. Because if you aren't building a life you're extraordinarily proud of, what kind of legacy are you building? So let's dive in. In today's episode of the Shameless Mom Academy, we're talking with Dr. Jennifer Freed, a child psychologist and the co-founder of AHA, a highly successful teen program which serves more than 5,000 families annually in the state of California. AHA creates positive attitudes, social harmony, and bridges the achievement gap. Dr. Fried has authored an educational book series, Become Your Best Self, which includes workbooks on relationship wisdom, character, compassion, and creative expression as part of her efforts to bring outstanding social and emotional learning curriculum to teens and their family. She also created a trainer series entitled The AHA Method in 2014 for educators and facilitators of teens. She is also a national trainer and keynote speaker for social and emotional learning best practices. Dr. Freed is a recognized expert and speaker on parenting teens, bullying, teen sexuality, restorative approaches, mother-daughter relationships, social and emotional learning, and strategies for creating peaceful campuses nationally. Jennifer has been featured on Good Morning America, The Huffington Post, NPR, ABC, Fox News, Sirius Radio, Air America, USA Today, Disney.com, and LifeScript.com. So she's been around and she really knows what she's talking about. And one of the reasons I wanted to have this episode at this time is that when I booked this episode or this interview, um, I really wanted to talk with Jennifer about bullying. And I thought that that would be really helpful information for our listeners who have grade school aged kids, middle school aged kids, high school aged kids. And then ironically enough, this interview ended up being booked two days after the Orlando massacre. So I thought it was an even more critical time to talk about some of the things that go on. You know, I know that her AHA organization was founded after Columbine. And so I knew that coming into this interview that the Orlando tragedy was going to be weighing really heavily on Dr. Freed. So we definitely talk about that. Uh, I also, I'm so grateful that this timing worked out the way that it did, because I know that I was feeling pretty raw coming into the interview, having had just a lot of media exposure to everything that has been going on in Orlando. And I'm just the kind of person that gets emotionally drawn into things like that. So watching the news and reading social media posts and just feeling really, really deeply saddened by all of it. So it was really comforting to be able to go through this interview and get some really helpful information from Jennifer on how we can manage our emotions in these really troubling, troubling times, because sometimes it feels like, I mean, it feels like there's getting to be more and more events like this, but the truth is 
it, there's getting to be more and more events like this. And that can be pretty scary as a parent. It can be scary for me being across the street from my child's preschool and thinking like, what would I do if I heard a gun go off in my neighborhood? And that's something that I think about on a regular basis, unfortunately. And I live in a really safe neighborhood in Seattle, Washington. No reason to think that would ever happen. But you know what? The reality is that no one ever thinks that they're in the place that these kinds of things are going to happen and they're happening everywhere. So it was actually really comforting to be able to talk to Jennifer a little bit about the current situation and the current events that have happened in addition to the originally planned content on bullying. So I hope that this brings you some peace. If you are someone who has been emotionally impacted, I'm assuming you're someone who's been emotionally impacted by the events in Orlando and just not quite sure how to move forward from that. And that might mean that you have a child who is a victim of bullying and you might have a child that exhibits bullying behavior. And we touch on both of those things. And there's a lot of emotion around both of those things. And it's very hard as a parent to be on either side of that. Um, you know, I don't see this yet because I have a three-year-old, but I know this is a very real reality for those of you who have school-age kids and teenagers. So rest assured, you're going to get some really good information today. And I hope that it's stuff that you can really, uh, some resources and information that you can really put to good use and just also use for creating some more practical application of just emotional conversations in your household. So you're in for some deep conversation. It's a little bit heavier than our normal tone here on the Shameless Mom Academy, but I think it's also a really critical time for us to be having this conversation. So let's go ahead and dive in with Dr. Jennifer Freed. Good morning, Jennifer, and welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm delighted to have you here today, and I think the timing is is really important. Well, we're Certainly happy to be here with you, and also the timing is critical because the world needs more aha right now. Definitely. I, it was sometimes just things happen for a reason, and um, when I booked this interview, you know, we certainly had no idea that the events of, or- of Orlando would occur as they did, but um, we're recording this two days after the Orlando massacre, and I have to tell you, I had to get myself off of news stuff this morning because I was worried given the work that you do and everything that's going on in the world, I thought I might just have a breakdown and trying to get through this really heavy time um, and processing all that while we talk about the significance of the work that you do. Because I knew before deciding to do this interview that this was really critical, what, what the kind of work you do is really critical. But wow, like it's just so much more glaring now in light of everything that's going on. So, so how are you doing with everything and and how are your, is your organization doing? Well, I feel really sad as everyone that is really heartfelt does because we have a tremendous loss in this country, not just with this mass shooting, but with now 500 in the last two years. Yes. And we feel ever more motivated and encouraged to transform schools and communities so that this kind of hatred cannot proliferate anymore. Yes. And I want to, um, so we're going to talk about AHA, your, your organization today. And we're going to talk about, um, you know, when I sent you questions, um, I actually, I wrote out all the interview information on a flight before uh, I had all the information from the Orlando massacre. And so you have questions that are not related to that at all. But I do want to just, is there, because I know there's so much high emotion right now around guns and and uh, feeling pr- really protective of our kids. You know, I have a three-year-old who goes to preschool across the street from our house. And I'm constantly thinking like, what would I do if I was sitting in my office and I heard something? What would I do? So before we jump into, I really want to talk about bullying today, which is also a big piece of this, but but is there a way that parents can feel like they're doing something proactive? Um, if they're parents like me who are just sitting home, like scared about sending their kids out there and not knowing what can happen at any given moment, what what are your, some steps you can recommend to make us, help us feel a little more empowered? That's a great question because empowerment is the name of the game because hatred can make us all feel either helpless and powerless or very vindictive and righteous. Mm-hmm. None of those options are good. So the first thing is when we're all feeling terrified is to calm ourselves down because we know now that when our brain is in heightened alert, we're in fight, flight, freeze, or faint. None of those are good options to think clearly. Okay. So what we want to do is actually 
do things that make us feel more upbeat, exercise, find uh, good videos to laugh at, spend time with friends or people that make you feel really comfortable and safe. The most proactive thing we can all do as parents and as community members is get to know our neighbors, get to know the other parents, make stronger connections between people that you really can rely on and trust because we're only stronger when we're more cohesive. So much of what's happening today is because we're so fractured, so fragmented, so many people are suffering and feeling so marginalized. The best thing we can all do is reach out instead of withdraw and become sullen and more hateful. I think that's really important advice and I really appreciate that. And I've noticed um, in the media, um, I've noticed some people like late night TV people and things like that saying like, let's take a moment to hold space for everything that's going on, but also let's continue to laugh and let's continue to move forward. And cause it's so easy to just get stuck in how horrific all of this is and how overwhelming it is. So I really appreciate that advice that you gave. That's gives me a little bit of peace moving forward. And, and, and the other thing we teach our teens and ourselves is something called emotion management, which means You've got to feel it and name it to deal with it. So if you're sad, cry. If you don't know how to cry, at least write about how sad you are. If you're scared, shake. Get music in on the living room or wherever you are and just stand and shake. Get that actual fear through your body instead of seizing you up and paralyzing you. That's really great advice. I have a, my three-year-old is um, definitely a little prone to anxiety already, and I'm pretty high anxiety. So I worry about him managing situations like this. You know, I growing up was scared to death of fire drills at school. And I think like my child will be going through drills at school all around, like if a shooter comes in, what do we do? And I think that's a big thing to manage for kids. That's like a lot of, there's just so much that goes along with that. And so um, I really appreciate that advice on identifying feelings and then working through those feelings appropriately because I think that yeah. I think that's so important and so especially with boys, there's not always the space for boys to label feelings, um, and so we're definitely working on that at our household already. Right, and none of us were taught how to name and label and release our feelings. Right, most of us were taught how to shut them down. Yes, well, that's not healthy. So whether it's boys or girls, it's like I can picture your three-year-old, you know, give them a little uh, superhero suit, put on a favorite song, and that can be a shake, rattle, and roll song. So whenever he's scared, he gets into shaking instead of uh, seizing up. Oh, that's, yeah, that's really good advice. Um, Yes. And you're so right about not learning to manage emotions really well. And I think because as parents, you just want to tell your kids, it's okay. It's okay. You don't have to feel that. It's okay. It's all going to be okay. And I find myself really having to stop myself because I see when I see him get nervous about something or worried about something, you just want to make it go away. You want to make it better. But that's not, you. Ha- I totally agree with that whole idea of having to label the feeling and process the feeling and all of that. So, and, um, and actually what you can say to yourself and your son and all of us is it's okay to be scared, mm-hmm. shake it out. And right now, and this is super important, it's okay to be scared. And right now we're okay. We're yes. safe. Yes. You've got to really remind the brain that even though it's on hyper alert, that right now as we're talking and you're in your home and I'm in an office, we're all fine. Right. In this moment, we're so okay. That's super important to keep remembering that fear is sometimes false evidence appearing real. Yes. Right, yes. right now, we're okay. But we do have to acknowledge the biomechanism of hyper alert. And that's okay. We're mm-hmm. scared. It's yes. okay. This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body 
but I was able to get out the spray, literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived, put it on his toe before he went to bed. And the next morning he was like, mom, my toe's all better. It was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly. So you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, other types of skin damage. It's totally safe, non-toxic, suitable on all types of skin, even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin. This is also safe for the youngest members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500,000 happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients, active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family. So to get your own active skin repair, go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20% off your order when you use the code shameless. That's activeskinrepair.com. Use the code shameless for 20% off your order. Activeskinrepair.com, code shameless. This episode is supported by Mysteries About True Histories a podcast for your kiddos. So from the creators of the hit podcast, Who Smarted, and Netflix's Brainchild comes the adventurous world of mysteries about true histories, affectionately known as math. Every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers on an adventure through time packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs, making learning cool. This podcast is perfect for ages six and up and new episodes drop every Thursday, each stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. I love a show where as a parent, you're like, hey, let's listen or watch this or whatever. And your kids are thinking they're like getting extra device time or what have you. And you're like, they're learning right now. So it feels like such a big win. So I want you to go check out Mysteries About True Histories wherever you listen to podcasts. You can tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you're listening to this podcast. So go check out Mysteries About True Histories to listen in and have some fun with your kid while they learn today. Yes, and I love that acronym for fear, uh, false evidence appearing real. For those, for those of you that didn't catch that that was an acronym, um, I, I love it and I totally agree with it. So let's go ahead and kind of step um, a little bit to the side, which this is all totally related to what we're talking about, but I want to get into some conversation about bullying. And I want to start with you talking a little bit more about your organization, AHA, and why what inspired you to found the organization? Well, unfortunately, it's super relevant. Why we founded it is because my partner and I are both educators and psychotherapists. And when the Columbine massacre happened in 1999, we turned to each other and said, this cannot happen here. We have to make a program for adolescents about social and emotional learning. So no child ever feels this kind of hatred toward others or toward themselves. And that's what began AHA, was a summer program to help teens learn about healthy relationships and how to be inclusive and social-emotional learning and creative self-expression. So we started back then with a summer program. Flash forward, it's 2016. We have 20 employees. We're reaching 2,500 teens directly per year. And those teens initiate and lead peer circles with an additional 5,000 others. Wow. So we are really making tracks here in Santa Barbara. And it's not rocket science, but it is something that people have to make a priority that social and emotional learning is no longer a soft skill, which it used to be downgraded as, right. but it's an essential skill to actually having productive and happy lives. Yes, so much so. It's, it's, just crazy to me, um, the difference between when I was in school, you know, 30 years ago and as a grade schooler and today and um, just the level of awareness on culture. I actually, for three months, I used to work in a psychiatric hospital with children and I left that job for a short time and went and worked in the public school district. And I remember we had to go to a meeting on culture in like my first week of school. And I was like, what is culture? Like I didn't know. I, I was like, oh, we're gonna learn about like African heritage. Like I had no idea that there was this whole thing in school, and this would have been in like nineteen or probably in two thousand ish. Um, 
I had no idea that there had been this huge movement in schools that like, we have to talk about school culture. And there, this, this whole new idea of including children, all children in a different way and making sure that you're reaching the emotional needs of children in different ways. And that did not happen when I was going to school. And it's heartbreaking that this is so much at the forefront, yet the crazy things that are happening are still happening. And like you said, at the rate that they're happening, and I know you said, what was your statistic? 500 school shootings since, was it since Columbine? No, in the last two years, in the last two two years, there's been 500 mass shootings, not necessarily just school. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So 500 shootings in the last two years. So that's every other day or so. Yeah. It's pretty extreme. Yeah. Really, really profound. So how does, I know you, I'm assuming you work on this victim side of bullying? And then do you also work on the side of like, how do we reach the people who the children who are and um, young adults who are actually doing the bullying? Do you work on both sides of that? Yes, absolutely. Our philosophy is about restorative approaches, which is simply repair the harm. Okay. So if somebody is bullying, they are also in a lot of pain. Yes. That is not a way to live life. And in fact, statistically, we know now that whether you are bullying or being bullied, there's significant bad outcomes as you grow to adulthood. So we need to address the cause and the effect of bullying behavior. So we work with both sides of the equation. To give you an example, let's say a young man stole another young man's backpack repeatedly and took his money, etc. What we would do at AHA is bring both young men into a circle with peers and some significant adults, and we would have that young man take responsibility for taking the backpack. We'd have the young man talk about the impact of that kind of behavior to him over and over. We'd have other peers talk about what it's like to witness that or experience that or hear about that. And then we'd move to how do we repair this? And we also try to understand from the person who was bullying, what were you thinking? What was going on with you that made this even a possible expression from your side of it? And Mm -hmm. yes, it takes time, but here's what we find about restorative approaches. People don't reoffend. When you do typical punishing and separating behavior, you mm-hmm. have absolute reoffending going on. Yes. Pretty much you can guarantee that person will be stigmatized that's been doing the harm and they will be continuing that behavior and increasing it. Right. Whereas restorative approaches where everybody's feelings, thoughts, concerns are expressed and the person gets to repair the harm they've caused, that actually has shown to be quite effective in not only extinguishing the behavior, but reinstating both people with integrity back to the community. Yeah, I think that's so valuable. And I think that um, I love what you said about stigma, um, stigmatizing the bully, because I think that, you know, certainly when I was in school, that happened. And so if you had a reputation of being a bully, it was like, that was the only way you knew how to behave. It was like, it was reinforced because you were known as the bully and you were treated, the teachers and administration treated you as the bully. And so there was no work around how do we change this and make it better um, and work with um, like you, we've talked about earlier, identifying feelings and all those kinds of things. It was just very much a like, if you do X, the consequence is Y Um, and that. And that doesn't work. And the other radical move we make, just I want your listeners to really think about this, is we don't call people bullies because that's a noun. Okay. We talk about bullying behavior because none of us are our worst or best behaviors. We are people that have behaviors. So especially young people definitely don't deserve to be labeled when they're in a developmental stage of life the brain isn't even fully developed till age 24. So I don't think it's helpful for us to put people in the labels of nouns, they're criminals, they're bullies, while they're still in the elastic brain formation. And we have a lot of responsibility for helping them become the kind of people they want to be. Thank you for that correction, because that is really significant. And I totally agree. That makes so much sense. So how do you work with 
the victims then of the bullying behavior. Um, you, you mentioned some of the work that you do with the child who's actually doing the, the bullying behavior. How do you work with yeah. the victims? Well, number one, we listen to what it's like for them to have gone through what they went through. We don't tell them to get over it quickly. We don't tell them, don't worry, life will be better. We don't do a lot of uh, rationalizing and pretending and denying. What we do is acknowledge, affirm their experience, ask them what they need now. We do a lot of the work we do in groups, so they are very eager to get the support and encouragement from their peers, and so we do a lot of that. And we basically mentor them through their own process of empowerment because victimhood is a horrible place to live in. Yes. So again, we are not what's been done to us. I mean, I've had horrible things done to me. I don't know about you, what mm -hmm. your life experience is, but I actually don't define myself by what horrible things have happened to me. I define myself by what I've been able to do despite them. I think that makes a lot of sense. And yes, I agree. I, I, um, I'm a, I'm definitely a proponent of like the things that are the most challenging and overwhelming, um, are the things that do propel me forward in life. The most horrific experiences of my life are the things that I think of often when I want to move forward and create a life bigger than I ever dreamed possible. <laughs> so it's fuel. Hooray for that. It's fuel. That's brilliant. It's fuel yeah. for sure. And I mean, I've had some situations with, um, you know, a situation that comes to mind is an old boss of mine who just had me like in hysterics multiple times um, in the way he talked to me and treated me as a female and all, all sorts of things. And I am so frequently when I feel like something's really challenging, I think like, oh, because of him, I will do this. I will move forward. I will be successful. I will like, it's, it's, you know, not everyone I know, you know, that's not everyone's um, experience or everyone's position on receiving horrible feedback. And it certainly took me a while to get to that. But I definitely have learned over time to use that as fuel. And, um, and I, you know, obviously, as an adult, it's a little easier to do that probably than as a child, but I think it's so powerful. And it almost it's like, that's my revenge. <laughs> uh, so, well, I, I think the best revenge is living a great life. Right, right. Yeah. So I want to um, just back up because I think you you gave three really important pieces of advice there that I'm imagining, you know, if anyone has a child coming home from school complaining about, um, and not complaining isn't the right word, but sharing a story or an experience that happened to them where they um, were the victim of, a, of bullying behavior, you used the tactic of acknowledge, affirm, and ask what they need rather than saying like, oh, it's okay, it'll be better tomorrow. And I think that those are really important steps. And so I just wanted to re readdress that, acknowledge, affirm, and ask what they need. I think those are such great points to make um, and really, you know, tactical kind of just like go down the list. One, two, three, let's do these three things here so that we can see how we can work through this together as a family or, you know, as a parent and child. Go ahead. Absolutely. And I think as parents, we tend to want to rush through the pain that our child is feeling because we want it to go away. Right. And I think it's much more helpful to make space for the pain and ask them how they want to move through it. What do they need? What would they like to do about it? Because when we rescue them by taking action or overriding you know, the situation with our own anger or pain or whatever, indignation, we rob them of their own agency. The littlest children have very good instincts about what they want, and what they need, and what they want to do about situations like this. We need to actually help them to find those solutions and be their allies in those solutions. Yes, yes, which is a perfect segue to my next question. <laughs> At what age do we start talking to our kids about emotions? Um, you know, I'm certainly not going to bring up bullying conversation. No, it's not age no, appropriate at this point. No. But talking about emotions, how do we? At what age do we start that, and how do we start that conversation? Well, I think the funniest thing about this question is babies are our best teacher for spontaneous catharsis of feelings in really healthy ways. They cry when they're sad. They yell when they're angry, they shake and they, you know, wiggle when they're scared, they sh make 
they spit things out when they're disgusted. They laugh, ha, 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 when they're happy and joyful and smiling. They already are masters of it. So what happens is these little creatures of divine, spontaneous emotional regulation begin to get shut down when out of life's needs and conveniences, we want them to get it under control. So that's good. They have to learn how to master and be able to turn on and off some of those feelings. But as they get older and they have language, we can just help them by saying, I see you're scared right now. Oh, you feel sad. Oh, gosh, you're so happy. That's so great. You're so happy. You can just mirror what's happening with the child and giving it language Mm -hmm. and asking them, how do you feel right now? Because what we know now is something called emotional granularity is what we all need to feel very emotionally balanced and powerful, which is we need to be able to say with distinction what we're feeling when we feel it. Mm -hmm. So parents can help children with that just by asking them, how are you feeling? What are you feeling? Oh, you're feeling this. Oh, you're feeling that. Oh, you feel so mad right now. And you can mirror that with your face and just show it back to them. Kids love that. It's, it's not that hard. Right, right. And do you have, um, so I've started giving my son more and more words for emotions. So he, at th- he's three and a half now. And so at three and a half, um, he definitely gets very nervous about new things and um, has some, a lot of, separ- he's always had separation anxiety with me. And so I've started putting more words, help, trying to help him put more words to his feelings. But sometimes I feel like I'm almost leading him into, like, I don't want to, uh, when I tell, like, I'll say, when we go to drop him off, I go to drop him off at school and I'll say, are you feeling nervous? Are you feeling sad? Are you feeling worried? And sometimes I feel like I'm leading him to identify these feelings that maybe, um, he wouldn't acknowledge if, or even notice, uh, unless I brought it up. And so do you have any direction around that or how we can like have, help, help children identify without making it too more of a big deal than it really is in the moment? Yes, I would buy something called emotion cards, emotion cards, and you can get them on Amazon, emotion cards by Marilyn Jorgensen, a colleague of mine. And I would not tell them nuances of what they're feeling. Are you worried? Are you scared? I mean, because that's your anxiety. Right, right. But I would would get them familiar with these cards because they're all these incredible uh, faces that show all the variances of emotion. And just play with them at night or whatever and go, which one did you feel today? Which one of these did you feel? Because the other thing that we know now is we feel more than one thing at the same time. Like I can feel enthusiastic right now to talk to you. I can feel concerned about a meeting I'm having later on. And I can feel very relaxed in that we're having a great conversation. So you want them to develop their own rich vocabulary, not try to match your vocabulary. Okay. Okay. That so makes get sense. the emotion cards and just start playing with them on the regular basis. And it's super cool for you to say, these are the emotions I was feeling today. Pick out the cards. Right. And then which ones are you feeling? And it just becomes like a great family conversation. Be fun to do at dinner, even before you eat or after right. you eat. Yeah. And we actually, we were having, we kind of had a conversation about feelings yesterday at dinner. And I was like, we need to do like I mean, having worked in a psychiatric hospital, we used to do a feelings check-in. I was like, we need to start doing a feelings check-in at dinner every night. <laughs> just, That's just, great. Yeah. And first, you know, get them these cards so right. your child can start developing their own com- vocabulary. Yes. That's fantastic. Yeah. And did you say Marilyn Jorgensen? Correct. Okay. I'll put So in our show notes today over at shamelessmom.com, um, I'll make sure that I put a link to the Amazon, to the... Uh, emotion emotion cards cards on Amazon. So you guys can, so our listeners can find them really easily. Great. Um, so what is your advice to parents who do have a child who's coming home every day, having been the recipient of bullying behavior and, and really struggling in that in school setting? Well, first and foremost, listen to your child, listen to your child. Now here's a place that's going to be very sensitive and tricky. The children, by and large, will never want you to talk to the other parents, will never want you to talk to the school. They're terrified and frightened, and they know there'll be social consequences of being a tattletale. Right. You have to, you have to say to them, I hear all your concerns. 
and I do need to talk to the other parents. So the first thing and the most important thing is in a really friendly, very, very open way, you need to go talk to the parents of the child where this interaction is happening as best you can. Maybe you can, maybe you can't, but that's the first move. Mm -hmm. And say, we just need to come together because there's things happening between our children, don't blame, that are really disturbing and upsetting. And I want your support and guidance on how we can make this stop. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this is, show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily, it's very digestible. And the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Utube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explains. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. I like that. And I like the idea of not blaming um, and keeping it on neutral territory, because I'm sure, depend, you know, some parents I think would be, and also depending on the situation, it's some parents might be very open to the, that kind of feedback, and some people might feel really defensive. And it totally depends on the situation and the events leading up to all of this and everything. But I think that's really helpful. Right. So for sure, try to do the parents. And if not that, sometimes you can't. Uh-huh. Uh, immediately, like the minute you start hearing about it, you know, go to the school, ask to speak to somebody who's in charge of school climate, and just talk to them and ask, what can we do about this? I don't want anyone to get in trouble. That's a very important thing to say. Okay. But what I do want is for this to stop and for our children, who all of the children are being affected by this, because wherever there's bullying behavior, there's what's called witnesses and bystanders, and they've got vicarious trauma too. Yes. So we'd actually like to have somebody come in and work with the class 
on the whole concept of how we treat each other and how we create a safe and inclusive climate. And that's what we do at AHA. We go in and we work with classes, we work with teachers, but the only thing I would say is not a go is don't just listen to your kid and then leave it. And hold because, that. No, they are not. They're the children. They are not going to be able to solve this on their own. In fact, we know now the person least likely to be able to stop bullying behavior is the victim of it. Least mm -hmm. likely. Right, right. The people that are most likely to stop bullying behavior are the bystanders and the witnesses, the people that are around when it's happening. And that we need to train children how to be upstanders instead of bystanders. That's a really such a great distinction. Um, and I also really appreciate what you say about the observers, because I know I observed bullying in grade school and in junior high. And I was, it definitely made me very fearful of being the recipient of it. And so I kind of tiptoed around certain people because of that. Um, and in addition to that, I think it held me back from being maybe as vocal as I would have otherwise been in class or just putting myself out there and taking risks in a um, school environment in different ways. Because I mean, in situations like PE, where I felt very self-conscious, I was like, I don't want to do anything where I might look still silly because I know how other people have been treated in those situations. Um, so I definitely had a lot of nervousness around that and like just wanted to like be very much under the radar as I saw other people struggling and with name, being named uh, and name calling situations and those kinds of things. And it was like the same three. I feel like in my grade school, in my class growing up, it was like the same three kids just every year got this were the recipients and it was really hard to watch. So I, I understand what you say about the observers having it it's definitely impacts the observers as well. Yeah, it's vicarious traumatization. It colors the whole way the entire uh, peer group feels safe or not safe. And yet, imagine this, and this is what we do at AHA. We do something called AHA Peace Builders. Imagine that in a class of 38 now, I mean, there's so many kids in a class, there's two people that want to do the bullying behavior, but now there's at least 30 people who've been trained how to interrupt it with curiosity and humor how far do you think that bullying behavior would go? Yeah, yeah, definitely d different than my situation. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So with the with the observers, should we be having conversation? You know, if our child is not a victim of bullying and we're is not doing the bullying behaviors, should we still be having bullying these conversations with our kids? Because assuming that our children are observing this and giving them tools to manage that? No, I don't think so. Because okay. you can't empower one kid at a time. Okay. You can talk about standing up, you know, in a general sense and doing the right thing when no one's watching in a general sense. Okay. But I think it's too big a burden to talk to little kids about what they could or should be doing when there's bullying behavior. Okay. Because you've got to always think safety comes first. Right. And one person against bullying behavior, not so safe. Right. So you, why we do all our education at AHA in classrooms and groups of youth is because when you're educating youth together in a group, then you've got a lot of mileage in terms of skill set and support and safety. Okay. But I wouldn't want to burden any one kid at home with like, hey, if there's bullying behavior going on, you've got to be the su superhero because that may be very wrong minded. Right, right. Should we be just having a conversation with like, what are you seeing at school, though? How do you feel about that? Well, you wait that for them to bring it up. Okay. You don't have to hunt for it. Okay. I think, you know, what we do at our house and what we do at AHA is every day we do something called thorns and roses. So we all okay. sit and just for about 10 minutes, I say the thorn of my day and the rose of my day. And that becomes so habitual that I get to say what's hard and what's good that things naturally come up okay. that need to be addressed. Okay. But I wouldn't go fishing or hunting <laughs> right. for problems because right. you then start entraining your kid to scan for negative. And I think right. that's bad. Okay. No, that totally makes sense. So what is your advice to parents who have the child who is demonstrating the bullying behavior? 
Well, if your child is demonstrating bullying behavior, that is a big cry for help. And often it may need professional help because that already tells me that there's a lot going wrong that wasn't caught earlier on. By the time somebody is bullying, not just teasing or playing or being a jerk, but bullying is a consistent, repeated power over harmful, intentional behavior. That's pretty serious. That's something that we should be very concerned about. So number one, find out what's going on that you could even think about doing that. Not in a mean way, like, what's wrong with you? But like, wow, that's intense. What's happening that you would want to treat people that way? Something must have happened to you that makes you feel this upset and sad and lonely and, you know. There's all kinds of things underneath that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I'd go to family counseling, nip it right in the bud, because that's serious behavior. And if mm-hmm. they've just found out about bullying behavior, that means there's been a long lead up to that. Right. Can you give that definition again, the consistent repeated pattern? The definition bullying, of bullying is different. And we've got to all be very careful about this than teasing or being jerky or being rude. Mm-hmm. Bullying is repeated intentional harm that has a power imbalance. Okay. It can be verbal or physical, but it's repeated, it's consistent, it's intentional, and it's harming. You know, if I go to school tomorrow and pick on somebody younger than me and say, you're a sissy, that's not bullying. But if I routinely on the bus smash some kid's head against the side of the bus over and over and over, which happens. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's bullying behavior. Right, right. So how do we know the difference? Well, and because of the consistent, repeated and harmful yeah. behavior, because I think there is, you know, name calling happens. Um, yeah. And so you have, I can see where it's important to have that really distinct line. So with the uh, child who has, is demonstrating the bullying behavior. Um, I, I would imagine that you see some parents who are pretty defensive about that. Um, and especially like you're saying, this is probably by the time it gets to this child demonstrating the bullying behavior, it's probably a lot of things have been missed. So what are your recommendations for parents who might feel some overwhelming guilt about that or overwhelming like parental failure or just, you know, that's, that's a lot to feel responsible for. And how do we, how can people, uh, how can we address that with those parents who probably did not intend for their child to have to start demonstrating these kinds of behaviors? Well, there's two things, three things I'd say, first of all, get out of the way. It's not about you. Mm-hmm. So your first and most important thing is get the help for your child. Your own embarrassment should never be a deterrent. Right. Secondly, I have really close friends who this happened to who are great human beings and great parents, but their son was born with biological and learning disorder stuff. And this was an outgrowth of that. And so their job is to get him the help he needs. And thirdly, um, when you're considering that your child has these symptoms and bullying behavior, what they need most is for you to actually be proud to get them help as opposed to ashamed because how you are about it is going to be how they are about it. Oh, that's such, that's really great advice. Um, yeah. And I I think, you know, you would be proud if you found out that your kid was suffering from some kind of metabolic condition and you found the doctor to help them. You'd be proud. Right. So bullying behavior and this kind of conduct disorder stuff is something that we should be proud to get the help for our families for. And the other thing I want to distinguish here is bullying behavior is really obvious because usually the perpetrator, the harmer, does not have remorse. Okay. And when I tease, like the other day, I said something stupid to a friend at a party and they were going, but you teach, aha, how could you say something stupid like that? (laughs) And I said, and I said, you know, I'm really sorry and I, I, I want to repair this and, um, I shouldn't have said that. Right. That when you're not into bullying behavior, it's pretty acceptable to be wrong and and have made a right. mistake and own it. Yeah. Right. What? Right. So what? So I said something unkind in a second of impulsivity. Right. We all do it. Right. Okay. That, 
that is that is helpful. Yeah, and I think that I've been talking with I've in some of my other interviews and in some of my own work I've been talking with people about um, intergenerational trauma, and I think what when I think when I see things related to bullying, I do see um, a plate where that can come from intergenerational trauma where, you know, a parent has their own trauma that maybe they haven't dealt with. And so for whatever reason, their child is struggling as a result of that. And it can be very unconscious. Um, and when I think back to the people that I saw in grade school, um, that struggled with how to treat other children well, I, I do see some family things going on where it was, you know, the parents maybe just didn't have the right skills to manage their own lives really well. And as a, re as a result, their child suffered for quite a while. And I see that in some other situations around me that I'm currently familiar with, um, with some middle school girls. And I see the same thing where I've known like multiple generations of a family. And I can see that sometimes adults need to get some serious help on their own whole history in order to positively impact their, how their children can manage themselves emotionally and with their peer group. Do you see that as well? Absolutely. And I want to add yes, yes, yes to everything you're saying. And Ron Taffel wrote a profound book called The Second Family. And these days, a lot of what creates trauma and then bullying behavior is peer interactions. So you also can't rule out that the parents had nothing to do yes. with this kid becoming somebody with bullying behavior. It could have started in second grade that they were a victim of some kind and this is the way they reacted and responded. So the whole point is whatever the reason, let's as mature parents get the help for our children because they can't do it alone. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Th and that book was The Second Family by Ron. What was his last Taffel. Name? Dr. Okay. Ron Taffel. Okay. I'll link to that in the show notes as well over at shamelessmom.com. Uh, okay. So, oh, this is so, I feel like this is so empowering because I feel like no matter where you might fall on this, whether your child is in a situation of being a victim, whether your child might have, have bullying behavior, whether your child just sees this stuff at school, um, I feel like there's some really great advice and tools in here. And I really appreciate that. I know that um, one of the things, my sister is a special education teacher in Oregon, and we, we were talking recently about the model of inclusion and how it's some of the things that she's seen because inclusion has gone so far that a lot of um, behavior issues in the classroom can't be addressed very well because of lack of resources. And so what ends up happening is that children who are demonstrating really out of control, unsafe behavior, the whole class has to tiptoe around them. And so what she was talking about in her situation is that like if a child is demonstrating unsafe behavior in the classroom, they can't physically remove the child from the classroom. So they remove the entire class from the classroom except for that one child. And the impact of having this enti entire class who throughout the whole year is trying to figure out how to work around this one child's behavior, which is obviously, this is an extreme example, but she sees this happening very regularly. So I feel the need for tools happening for tools for every end of the spectrum are so essential because you have obviously the, the, you know, if a child is direct recipient of any bullying, they need help. The child who is doing the behavior needs help, but you do have these children who are just observing this and feeling very powerless and saying like, why does this kid get to hurt other people and destroy property and they don't have any consequences? And that is a weird, you know, un for thing for parents to have to manage as well, because how do you answer those kinds of questions? So I, I think this is all really helpful. Do you have within in the model of inclusion, do you, um, I'm sure you see this in the schools that you're in, what is your, what are your thoughts on children who feel like their learning experience is disrupted or their, um, and parents who feel like their kids' classroom experience is disrupted because of these kinds of things that are part of the um, inclusion model? I'm going to be honest. I don't know about this model. It sounds bizarre. So this is not uncommon in Seattle schools or in, okay. in Oregon schools. Yeah. Like <laughs> well, I can't comment on it because okay, no, that sounds to me bizarre. So I, well, I'm glad you say that because it sounds horrible to say inclusion is a bad thing, but I have definitely heard and, and I see, have, I know people, my child is not in, in the, um, 
the school district yet, but I've heard of this in two school districts in the Pacific Northwest area. So I think that it's not, you know, extremely uncommon. Um, but I think that we've pushed inclusion to a really far point. So regardless, I appreciate, I think these tools are really helpful. So what are, what research, you know, you've given us some great tools, the emotion cards, the um, second family book, any other resources that you could recommend to parents as, especially with, um, I guess, I would love resources maybe for like grade school parents versus teenage parents. Well, I can tell you that my expertise has always been and will be working with 12 to 24 year olds. Okay. So I'm not the best one to for recommend grade for grade school. I okay. think Robert Brooks is one of the most excellent authors on grade school dynamics. So I'd okay. look him up. But then for teens, at this point, I would go to me at jenniferfreed.com because I'm going to have four, five, six books coming out in the next three months. And if your children are between the ages of 12 and 24, uh, you're going to really like all of these different books. Some are workbooks. Some are uh, instructions on how to live a more peaceful life. I think uh, I have a lot to offer after doing this for so many years, and I can't wait for people to get the tools that I've been able to learn and pass on. Oh, I, I thank you so much. I mean, I didn't realize that your experience was so much was exclusively with, exclusively with older children. Um, and then with those books, are those books for parents, for kids, or both? Both. And okay. and by the way, I have worked also with elementary school children. Okay. We've done a lot of interventions with elementary school. But for the AHA program, there's such a dearth, a lack of programming for teens. Okay. That's been my specialization, but I care deeply about the youngest yes. children, and as do you, and you have a great podcast. I just want to say my books will be oriented toward the 12 and above and their families. Okay. And I'm making a note of that right now. Um, okay. So Jennifer, thank you so much for taking time with us today. And especially, like I said, the timing I feel like is, was, um, opportune timing to get to talk to someone with your expertise. So I really appreciate you being available to, um, share this information and give us some tools for some really critical things that I know all of us are feeling kind of that we need a little bit more of right now. So thank you so much. And I will put all the resources to your site and everything that we mentioned in the show over at shamelessmom.com. So everyone who's listening can go ahead and uh, pop over there to get, um, look up these books and websites that we've talked about. So Jennifer, have a great day. And I hope the rest of your week is uh, filled with a little more peace than probably the beginning of the week has been. Yes, and I want to thank you for being such a great role model of a mom who's both very open, very humble, and very positive. Thank you so oh, much. Oh, thank you. I re really appreciate that. All right. Take care. Thanks, Jennifer. For all the links and resources mentioned in today's episode, make sure you head over to shamelessmom.com and you'll be able to go right through to find everything that Dr. Freed mentioned on Amazon, all the books that she referenced and her own resources on her own website at jenniferfreed.com. Thank you so much for listening today to this conversation with Dr. Jennifer Freed. I really appreciate you spending the time. I hope that you learned something. I hope that it, for at the very least, I hope you got some peace in terms of wherever you're at emotionally following the tragedy in Orlando. And I also hope that you got some really good information that you that you might find comforting or helpful or supportive in any situations you might have re surrounding bullying in your community, in your school, or anything along those lines. Please, please share this episode if you found this information to be helpful, if you know of other moms that might help, if you know of teachers that might help, if you know of other community leaders that might help. I think that this information is really critical and it's only becoming more critical. Uh, I'm, I'm so grateful that I had the chance to have this conversation with Dr. Freed, and I hope that you all continue the conversation. There's a lot more conversations that need to happen, and there's so many huge action steps that need to happen, but I think that on a grassroots level, we can start with having better conversations around emotions with just our very intimate family conversations and then in a local level, on a local level, just starting with some of these conversations in our school and teaching kids more about empathy and identifying emotions and working through emotions rather than just stuffing emotions. So I know you learned a lot today. I know it was a lot to um, absorb. So thank you for sticking around for it all. 
And please share this episode and share this information with people who will find it meaningful. Remember that we do release episodes every Monday and Wednesday on the Shameless Mom Academy, and you can find past episodes if you go to shamelessmom.com. You can also subscribe and get all of those ep- all new episodes delivered right to your device as soon as they are released. If you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review, you will get access to all of our past episodes. You can also do a review while you're at shamelessmom.com forward slash review. So if this episode has been helpful to you, please do leave us a five-star review to know that it has been meaningful to you. That really helps me moving forward in terms of scheduling content and making sure that all of our moms and all of our listeners' needs are getting met in terms of what you guys want. So thank you again for listening. No matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts.